Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. This is uh, news from the firmofthefuture.com website, which is the QuickBooks kind of pro-advisor website, if you think about it like that. Mm -hmm. And they are announcing, Intuit's announcing that they are not going to participate in Scaling New Heights this year. So they're not going to Orlando. They're not going to Orlando. And they actually said during COVID-19, Intuit employees will not present in person or participate virtually. Oh, so they're pulling out entirely. Wow. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Clockchart. Back in October of 2013, I became Clockchart's first Twitter follower. Today, Clockchart has grown to a highly rated and very much loved time tracking app that is now used by over 5,000 small businesses globally. With features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting, Clockchart has built a robust mobile time tracking app to handle the unique challenges that face your mobile workforce clients. Their technology has been helpful as their clients work through the COVID-19 pandemic. Your clients will need accurate records of their expenses and losses, and technology like Clockchart helps. With Clockchart, your clients can keep accurate records like paid time off and other important data to provide the necessary proof for CARES and FFCRA Act benefits. This lets them get straight back to work without too much disruption after the pandemic has passed. Clockchart's standard plan is just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clockchart. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. I recently had two Zoom calls with accountants that use BQE Core for their professional service clients like architects, engineers, consultants, and lawyers. One accountant called it the missing link for professional services. Another said that BQE Core is the only game in town for job profitability in the cloud. My biggest takeaway from the conversations was how you can 100% use BQE Core as your standalone accounting system or pair it up with either QuickBooks Online or Xero. Either way, you get to take advantage of all the advanced features of BQE Core like adjustment invoicing, budgets, labor costs, forecasting, contract analysis, and approval processes. Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners will receive three months of BQE Core for free with an annual subscription package purchased on or before September 30th, 2020. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. I I thought you were going to kick things off with... uh... Oh, I, I, I thought we were going to try to make some small talk, but we can oh. jump right in. <laughs> I didn't know if any small talk available today. Uh, well, I went out to a pumpkin festival last night. How was that? It was good. It was outside at a, a resort here in Scottsdale, and they had a selection of rides and a pumpkin patch and a, a libations for the parents and lots of uh, expensive toys for us to be forced to purchase for our children. Uh, and it was good. You know, it was spaced out. There's plenty of room. I felt fine about it. Now, now that it's only like 99 degrees instead of 112 in Arizona now, like, does it start to feel like fall to you now? I'm so looking forward to the next eight months. It's going to be glorious. It feels like less hot summer. You know, I think that's the two seasons in Arizona. You have like insanely hot summer 
and then not so hot summer. It tips when you can have your windows open in the morning, speaking of which, which I, have I to did. close my window. You can edit this out, right? So we have two birthdays to celebrate. We have your birthday, which was yesterday. Happy birthday, David. Thank you. And we have Microsoft Excel, which turned 35 years old this week. I wish I was turning 35 years old. <laughs> <laughs> the first electronic spreadsheet was developed in 1978 by Dan Bricklin, then a Harvard Business School student. And that application was known as, David, VisiCalc. VisiCalc, that's right. It's always one of my quiz questions on my webinars when I do spreadsheet webinars. I always want to say Lotus123. I yeah. always want to say that. Well, that was, the, that was the popular one, right, yeah. after that. So, did you know that Excel was originally not a Windows product? It made its debut on the Mac on September 30th, 1985, and two years later, it was ported over to Windows. So, all the folks who, you know, hate Mac on, um, or hate Excel on Mac, you know, that was actually the original. That's why I was introduced to it. I remember I was in a, like my junior year of high school, and I was taking trigonometry with like seniors. So then the seniors that last week are gone. And I was just in that classroom basically by myself. And the teacher's like, hey, check this out. And she showed me Excel on like uh, a Mac, I remember. And I was like, it blew my mind. I'm like, this is amazing. And like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, you just type three numbers in and they add up. Like, how is this even possible? And that was, yeah, that's probably like set my life on a course, actually. Spreadsheets haven't changed all that much in... 35 years, obviously the interface has changed, what you can do with them has changed. But if you look at the actual, you know, X, Y axis and the cells and the numbers and the formulas, it's all fundamentally, it was there 35 years ago. Well, I have some big news, David. Uh, some of our listeners may think this is horrific. Some may find it exciting. Spreadsheets are going 3D. Researchers from Coburg University, Microsoft Research, and the University of Cambridge have ported popular spreadsheet applications from Microsoft Excel and Google Sheets to virtual reality. Now, you're listening to a podcast right now, so you cannot see this video. Oh, okay. so you're saying 3D, like like visually 3D. I was thinking like three dimensions of sheets of, you know. Yeah, that's what I thought and, too, like, because okay. then you could actually like have you know, multidimensionality in your spreadsheet and then sort of like view it that way. No, this is actually just an interface thing. So, these researchers, I think well-funded by Microsoft, created a, a virtual reality interface. So, you put on your virtual reality goggles and then instead of a screen, you are no longer limited to a screen. You can have spreadsheets that span your entire field of vision and beyond. So, if you have your, like, you know, a lot of people get huge monitors, they got Excel, 100 columns wide because they get this huge monitor. If that's not big enough, you can get a VR headset and just have no vision other than cells. Yeah. The only thing you will see is spreadsheets. So if that really excites you, if you have four monitors and you want to have infinite monitors, check this application out and the link will be in the show notes to the video. It's pretty funny. Can you send me that link and then I'll you know, ask my wife to get me that for my next birthday maybe. We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> there you go. I actually have big, big news. What's that? Pretty major news. So obviously on our, the accountingconferences.com, we're covering like all the accounting conferences that exist and every single conference has either been canceled or turned virtual or delayed or moved. It was so sad. You set this up. You did all this work to list every conference out for the whole year and then they all got canceled, yeah. except for so, one. 
We've been we've been maintaining that site a lot, but yes, just one. Uh, Joe Woodard Scaling New Heights Conference. Um, it's scheduled to be November eighth through eleventh in Orlando, Florida, and it's been delayed and moved. It was supposed to be in St. Louis, then it got delayed, then it got moved to Orlando, then I think it got delayed again, and pretty much the dates now are locked in November eighth through eleventh. But the big news, so this is uh, news from the Firm of the Future dot com website, which is the QuickBooks kind of pro advisor website, if you think about it like that, mm-hmm. and they are announcing. Into it's announcing that they are not going to participate in Scaling New Heights this year. So they're not going to Orlando. They're not going to Orlando. And they actually said during COVID-19, Intuit employees will not present in person or participate virtually. Oh, so they're pulling out entirely. Wow. Entirely out of the event. But this um, article goes on to say that they're actually partnering in a different way um, and having a strategic alliance with Woodard's other property, which is the Woodard Institute. And that's where there's additional training and uh, growth and management technical skills, things you can get um, for that community. And they're earning a special program. So he charges, apparently, it's a, there's a four-week strategic pricing workshop. The workshop is basically 1000 bucks per person, 995 bucks per person. And what Intuit's doing is if you're a pro-advisor member, you can apply for some sort of scholarship to this. And then Intuit is going to pick up the cost. It says quantities are limited and there'll be a first come first per basis. It doesn't say like there's six available or 10 or 100. But it, uh, I'm sure there's probably some sort of contract things that have to be right. figured out, right? Because Intuit was like, I mean, in a way, scaling new heights are, I mean, some people call it the QuickBooks desktop conference, but it was definitely more of a very Intuit heavy conference. There was no other, uh, Zero wasn't there, Sage was never there. Intuit, or QuickBooks was the only accounting software package at Scaling New Heights historically. And, and Woodard has historically been very heavy in the Intuit ecosystem, QuickBooks world. Correct. Yeah. And historically speaking, like Scaling New Heights was like, that was the conference everybody went to just to do heads down certification. People, like they would show up two days early. He'd have two days of pre-conference and people would be in sessions at 6 a.m getting their CPE credits. They'd be doing all their advanced certifications, other apps, uh, Method and T-Sheets and everybody else would show up and people were there to do real training. Yeah. And obviously, this, all, this completely got disrupted. Well, COVID-19 is disrupting conferences and you know that's a, that's a big mess. Uh, but we need to get back to work, right? We can't stay away forever. So, hopefully, we'll actually get to go to those conferences. I'm banking on next year in the fall. That's my hope. Accounting firms, though, can't wait that long. We've got to get back to the office. Uh, As much as we want to work remotely forever, most firms, especially large ones, are not going to do that. First of all, they've already got these beautiful offices and they want to make use of them. (laughs) And also, it's the culture, right? Uh, Hard to do that in a large firm. So, there's been talk about when are big firms going to go back? I'm talking, you know, top 100 firms. I know lots of small firms are already back. Maybe they never left the office, right? That That's sort of on a firm by firm basis. But most of the large firms have, have pretty much had people working from home. And I think, David, you said, you know, a lot of that's because of HR, right? You can't take the risk of having people in the office when there's a pandemic going on. So, the question is, how do you get back to the office safely? Well, Eisner Amper, top 100 firm Eisner Amper, has their own solution that they have built in-house. It's an app called Eisner Amper RTO Platform. RTO, I assume, means return to office. Like I said, they developed it in-house. It was led by their chief information officer, Amir Segev. And this was featured in Accounting Today in a story about the app. They are claiming they have 75% adoption among their staff, and the app allows them to 
quote, ensure that our employees feel confident that we're creating a safe work environment for when they are ready to return to the office, unquote. And features include workspace capacity management. So employees can book spaces and they make sure there aren't too many people in each space. There's a health questionnaire for both employees and clients to make sure that people are not having symptoms when they enter the office. There's an employee badging system through the app. There's a prerequisite training module so that they can ensure that everyone is aware of the rules when they enter the office. There is a uh, data and analytics on the back end for how employees are using office space. So you can actually see, are they keeping proper distance and whatnot? And importantly, there's contact tracing built into the app. Now, here's the really neat thing about this thing that really stood out to me is that Eisner Amper is making this app available at no cost to their clients as well. What a great benefit for their clients. What a great way to use homebrew technology uh, and to differentiate yourself from other firms. So if you're a client of Eisner Amper, now you can get this app that can help you potentially return to the office. And maybe you would have spent a lot of money building something like this yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think a lot of uh, a lot of companies just are creating like a Google Sheet. You know, that's days of the week and people put their names if they're coming in the office that day, right? Just to make sure you stay at half capacity. There's so many slots and that's it. And it's very uh, rudimentary way to, to track this. But yeah, if somebody could get an app provided by their accounting firm, that is pretty unique and important. But I also kind of hear this. And then when you're telling me all the features of this, I'm like, this is a big firm's dream. Like now they can track everything their employees are doing. <laughs> Everywhere they're going. And then question about your billable hour, right? Like, <laughs> like, like this is... The dream tool for management of big accounting firms. Uh, all we need now are cameras everywhere, you know, at your desk, monitoring your eye movements uh, to make sure that you're actually doing work. Uh, screen capture software, of course. Uh, that was actually one of the things that was uh, kind of controversial during COVID is managers or businesses that don't trust their employees were making them install monitoring software on their computers. So they could always see what they're working on when they're working, like basically be able to look over your shoulder from home. That's so creepy. I don't think I could ever work like that. Yeah, I, I think most people wouldn't work like that. And especially in this industry, because, you know, there's there's still a lot of demand. Yeah. Right. You're going to have to treat your employees correctly. So uh, we were talking about an app that Eisner Amper built. How about we talk about app news now? We can jump in. So my first bit of news, not a ton this week, but this is a neat feature launched by Sage Intact. I recall this was announced at the last Sage Intact conference that we went to in person. It's their AI-powered timesheets app built directly into Sage Intact Cloud that connects to Sage Intact to help users automatically create time entries from the information in their calendar and their emails and everything like that. You know, not just pressing start on a timer, and then picking a project or a client, it's actually going to suggest to me entries based on other things that I've done. It's going to automate a lot of that. So that is available now. It's called Sage Intelligent Time, available now in an early adopter phase for Sage Intact users. And it will be generally available from Sage Intact and its network of channel partners in the US in the next quarter. There's been smaller apps. I think MinuteDoc is an example of this. These kind of smaller timesheet apps where you you install it, it runs on your task tray on your computer. And then as you do different things on your computer, it keeps track of what you're doing and then turns that into a timesheet. And like, so it's, those things are really popular with lawyers, like anybody who bills by the hour. But never has there been something that's a little bit more enterprise-like. They basically built this out where it's heavy integration, I think, if I remember correctly, with Microsoft Office, 
heavy integration with Sage Intact. So if you have a team that's just in your um, order processing department or the inventory department, they're using that part of the ERP, it's able to track their time automatically um, yep. and bring that through. So. And it shows that Intact is really doubling down on verticals. They've always done this, right? They pick nonprofits, for instance, and they go after them and they win them. And they've been very successful with that. Or they pick professional services in this case, and they find out what are their problems, what are their needs, and they go deep in the product building what they need. And this is going to be great for those professional services firms, the larger ones that are using Sage Intact as their ERP. They need to track time. Now they don't have to do it outside of Intact. They can do it in Intact, much more sticky from a client perspective. I can do really good project costing, right? That you got to have the time data if you're going to do costing in that way with time uh, in Intact. I have something that's kind of related. If you want to go on this this theme of like bigger enterprise type rollouts of smaller type of technologies. Yeah. So Zapier is launching a new Microsoft Teams integration with Microsoft, but it's super, super unique. So it's a, it's a first of a kind because it's going to let Teams owners give granular permissions to the team's data and support new workflows. For starters, like you'll be able to sign into Zapier with a micro, your Microsoft 365 credentials, right? But then not only that, you'll be able to install Zapier right from the team store. You don't have to go get permission from your um, admin of your Office mm. 365, right? They can uh, pre-set this up ahead of time, right? And so there's like consents there. But not only that, you can create and share your automations with other team members in Microsoft Teams. That's really neat. So it's it's taking, you know, instead of a bunch of one-offs, which is what a lot of people do, right? You have an enterprising employee, they go sign themselves up to Zapier, they're using it themselves, they connected the credentials themselves, right, but then right. the, that data is kind of locked. They can't share it with other team members. And so they're, they're, they're really scaling this up. Now, what's interesting about this, Microsoft had their own product called Flow. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was going to be built into Teams. It, it was very, it's a similar type thing. And who knows what happened to Flow now. I, but I also think Flow was a little, a little harder to use. It was kind of that next level up where you're almost starting to become a coder. You'd have a little bit more expertise versus like Zapier's a little bit more of the front end user. And you know, an app like that, that Microsoft makes themselves is never going to have all the connections that a Zapier makes. Zapier is like Switzerland. They connect to everything because that's all they do. So, you have no problem connecting Google and Microsoft, whereas Google's never going to build an integration for Flow if it's a Microsoft product. No, but I could see Google building their own version of Zapier. And so this is, looks like, this is I find it, this is an interesting um, partnership to see where this goes. Um, I could easily see Microsoft owning Zapier. It makes total sense. For it does, actually. Microsoft or Google. Well, exactly, right? It's, or is this, you know, is Microsoft getting in bed with Zapier to prevent Google from getting in bed with Zapier? <laughs> it's just another example of a smaller, independent, something that individuals would use to make their job better and more efficient is now going up to the enterprise level. Almost like, hey, great, bank feeds, right? They're finally going up to the enterprise level accounting software. Now, smaller automation tools are moving up their way up the ladder. So Canopy had an update that was featured in Accounting Web. They have enhanced their practice management and tax resolution features. Canopy is practice management software for tax departments, tax firms. Now, users can set time budgets on tasks and subtasks to track how teams use their time. As a result, managers have better insight into specific projects as well as a holistic view of productivity across projects. So that's part of your productivity dashboard. There are now tasks on mobile, allowing accountants to work from anywhere in the Canopy mobile app. I'm not sure how applicable that is to tax, but I guess 
you know, if you've got a, an urgent return, you're sitting at the dining room table, now you can uh, get notified of that task there. Never, there's no escape from tax during tax season. Client requests on mobile. Accountants can now create, send, and comment on client requests directly from the Canopy mobile app. And e-sign for notices. Accountants and their clients can now e-sign an editable document within Canopy's notices tool, resulting in saved time and streamlined notice resolution for the client. So thank you to Accounting Web for that write-up. And that follows after Zero added e-sign capability. I notice everyone seems to be adding e-sign capability into their practice management solution. And if I'm hearing this correctly on Canopy, it sounds like Canopy, they, obviously they have their practice management solution, but it sounds like now they have a mobile app. You tell your your client, like a portal. So you tell your clients to get this app and then you communicate with me yeah, through this. I think that's one of the big benefits of a system like Canopy, right? It's a main feature. It's not, it's not, it manages the workflow in your firm, but also allows for you to request and send information you know, to from your clients. And last thing I've got here is a roundup of top accounting apps from Accounting Today. And David, we are both on this uh, list. I was really excited. I had no idea this was happening. Nobody reached out. It was like uh, they they got a, a group of panelists and the panelists, I guess, went through and selected a list of apps with superior functionality and easy remote access. Oh, we'll um, go through the list of the panelists. I think I saw that. And many of them, I think all of them are our friends and listeners. I was actually, I saw the list. I was like, we know everybody on this list. Don Brolin, CEO of Powerful Accounting. Jay Kimmelman, founder and chief accounting officer at the Digital CPA. We've got Kenji Kuramoto, founder and CEO of Acuity. Sherelle Martin, founder and CEO of Nitrem Financial Solutions. Liz Mason, founder and CEO of High Rock Accounting. And Marcus Meyer, partner, PRM CPAs and advisors. So, this was a list of their favorite accounting apps. They had a focus this year on apps that deal specifically in forecasting, budgeting, and cash flow management, as they have taken on special importance. And the apps on this list all function as extensions of accounting software platforms. So they're basically additional apps, add-ons to your general ledger. So shall we go through the list? Yeah. All right. So first, we've got Carbon, a practice management solution with a special emphasis on communication and client accounting services. Shift Gusto, which is payroll. Payroll and HR now. We've got T-Sheets, the time tracking app that was purchased by Intuit and integrated into QuickBooks. You have HubDoc, which is your document capture, um, and they were purchased by Zero, and it's fully baked into Zero now. DocuSign, the very well-known e-signature application. Um, Verify IQ, which I'm... I don't know Verify IQ. I'm not familiar uh, with them. So there, there's Verify FI and there's Verify IQ and there's Verify. It's spelled differently. <laughs> so I have to re-Google this one. Automatically catch up to 80% of all bookkeeping errors. So it is a, an automated way to scan client files and provide a dashboard of file quality across your practice. So that's interesting. Giraffe. I've never heard of that app. Before. Yeah, what what is Giraffe? Giraffe, of course, is where I work. We do forecasting, budgeting, reporting, and dashboarding. We also have QVinci, which uh, is very well known for consolidations. Uh, you have a cash flow tool, and that's the one that was from Finagraph, right? As you might suspect from the name, they call themselves the ultimate cash flow management and forecasting service. Instantly know your cash flow today and tomorrow. We have Veeam, the famous digital payments app. And then a Routable. So Routable is doing uh, advanced uh, accounts payable, accounts receivable, automation, and uh, payment capabilities. We've got Melio, David, where you 
work. My employer, yes. Yes, the employer. The simplest way to pay vendors and contractors without paper checks and now built into QuickBooks online. You have tax help software, THS. And basically, this makes it very easy for you to download IRS account transcripts, um, tax return transcripts. And uh, apparently, there's been over 300 million downloads in the past decade. I've never actually heard of it before, but obviously, it's, new to it's, me. it's used all the time. Second to last, penultimate app is tax1099.com. Tax 1099 is all about automating your 1099 forms, although they do more than that. So, you know, you can send W-9s, you can do TIN matches, all, all your 1099 forms and 1098s. And then last but not least, uh, e-commerce player A to X, which will take your um, Amazon or Shopify data and bring it back in your accounting system. But the reason people love A to X is they attacked it from a different point of view. They, they attacked it from their reconciliation backwards. Everybody else is like focused about sticking sales data into the accounting system, mm-hmm. but that doesn't work because Amazon makes one deposit every two weeks, and that deposit that your your that Amazon deposit will have returns on it. It'll have yep. fees. It'll have shipping. It'll have sales tax. It'll have uh, everything you sold, um, things you've drop shipped, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, if they just a lot of apps previously before ADX would just sync sales, and to, to attack it from the reconciliation really. Uh, change the game completely. So that's really cool. And if you're looking for a short list of apps to look at, to consider once you've gotten through the October 15th deadline, then this would be a great one to start with. So the link here will be in the show notes or just go on Google and search for accounting today, experts choice, top accounting apps, and you'll find it. This episode of the cloud accounting podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR software that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes the best-in-class integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Xero. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. With OnPay's newly released report designer, you can use enterprise-level data and over 50 data points to create multiple report views for all your client stakeholders, be it the C-suite, departments, or HR. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of top-rated OnPay payroll and HR service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, nobody takes better care of your clients. So I don't have app news, but I think I have arguably neobank news a little bit. Yeah, that's sort of related. Why don't we talk about that? So we've talked about all those payday advanced apps, right? So you have, I think one's called Dave, there's Earnin, there's Bridget, there's Rain. And you get the app and you put information about your employer. And actually some places the employers are actually offering this service to you. Yeah, Gusto now offers this, I think, like two employees. Two employees, yeah. And so, but big companies like Walmart has partnered with one of these companies. So Walmart employees and they can, basically what it is is you can get your paycheck early mm-hmm. uh, based on your the hours you work. So if the t- it's got a timesheet integration apparently. And if I worked eight hours, I can request that money to be-, be deposited in my bank account. Well, just like everything else, it's new technology. You know, people are, uh, you know, it's, gr- it's massively popular as you can imagine. So last, last year, 37 million times people have accessed their paychecks early, getting basically $6 billion and was double the amount in 2018. 
Daily Pay, which is one of these players, they had a 400% increase during the early months of the pandemic. That's not surprising. So, so they're starting to, you're starting to see that increase, increase, increase. And it's interesting because now people are questioning about the fees because they're not a payday lender. A lot of them work either on like it's a fee or a, a tip-based model. And so Day, Daily Pay had an interesting, they were talking about how, you know, they, if it's unpaid income, it's a $3 fee. Or if you want next day, it's a $1.99, right? Which is kind of weird because the next day is cheaper than the other fee. So it's, that's not super clear, but it's very low, right? You're just paying this like two bucks here, $3 here. And it was interesting that he, that, so the, this is a uh, Jason Lee. He is the founder and chief executive officer of daily pay. But he made a comment that I thought was interesting. He said something like 87% of the people who use it, they use it in a very precise manner and they get a number like $85.91. So people are not just randomly like, give me $200 early. They're very specific, probably trying to make sure they. They're paying a utility bill, a specific something. So a specific reason to do that. But with everything else, the regulators are starting to take a look at things. For example, Earnin works on tips. So you just download and get a tip. But people are questioning the behaviors because what she's- You mean you choose what you want to give them as their reward. Exactly. It could be free. If you don't want to pay anything, you don't pay anything. Yes. But what's happening is no users are noticing that if you give a lower tip, they don't let you get as much out. <laughs> interesting. Clever. I wondered about that, how that would work. So the algorithm is, uh, it's, it's not interest, right? It's, it's not based on the fee, but coincidentally, users are starting to discover that if you don't do a tip, they just don't let you get much money out. So, and then um, Ernan went on to say that, hey, they're evolving their practices to better serve their customers, you know, and, and they insist tipping behavior is not a factor on how much people could take out. But I didn't know this. There's already been lawsuits against these companies. For what? Ernan settled out of court and paid $12.5 million in a class action suit already. So these companies are fairly brand new to be brought up in a class action suit. Um, And it was tied to um, a quarter million workers incurred overdraft fees. The value proposition of these apps like Earnin is, hey, get your money early. And then that way you don't have to worry about bouncing a check if your, your checking account's low, right? Apparently, between the amounts requested by the time it got in the bank accounts, and then when Erna tried to collect the fees plus the tip, customers are in the whole $150 and actually forced them to bounce more checks. Hmm. In the article, they don't talk about the settlement, but I just find it very interesting that brand these brand new companies are already getting you know hit hard. And then obviously, federal regulators are starting to look at them because of the whole payday loan stuff, but they're not a payday loan because they, they really just charge this fee or it's tips. But they've also started to see the patterns and behavior, just like the payday loan people. Like once people start to use one of these apps, they kind of get hooked on it. Right. They can't escape. So then you're constantly paying somebody $2 to get a little bit of pay a little early. Well, you know, it's the same old business, right? It's just digital now. <laughs> it's digital so. and it's faster, I think, right? It, it, it's, it's super instantaneous and uh, it's very app-based. And yeah. I don't think it's going to be the end of us hearing about this story on this. Um, Amazon, Facebook, we've talked about big tech, right? They're trying to get charters to become banks. We've talked about this plenty of times in the show. And apparently the House committee had a hearing after acting comptroller of the currency, Brian Brooks, in July proposed a new special purpose national banking charter for payments companies. So they're trying to push to allow them, Facebook, Google's, Amazon's of the world to bypass the processors to move money between states to states. And that way they don't have to go down every regulation down every state. 
under the existing laws. So there's a big push to do this. But of course, the big banks and the groups that represent the big banks are arguing against it. Right, yeah. Right, because they argue that the financial system stability isn't beneficial. But I think if you tie this back to some articles that we talked about before, I think the feds are sick of the big banks. Yeah. Like I think the feds want to be able to, we talked about that fed now, right? The feds mm-hmm. want to be able to put money into customers' hands faster yeah. to control the economic boom and bust cycles. It's just a matter of time, in my opinion. The Federal Reserve or the government in some way will create a digital dollar and every American will have an account associated with their social security number and the Fed during a time of crisis can just inject stimulus directly into that account. You'll be able to access it by going to probably the post office or getting an app and then you can transfer that money wherever you want to take it. It it makes a lot of sense. And the European Central Bank is considering doing this themselves. So we know that China is working on one. It now sounds like Europe is going to be working on one. And the United States may not move the fastest when it comes to this, but eventually we will catch up because we'll be left behind if we don't. So what exactly is happening? Um, The ECB, the governing council of the ECB has endorsed a report by a task force that recommended laying the groundwork for a digital currency. Quote, Europeans are increasingly turning to digital in the ways they spend, save, and invest. We should be prepared to issue a digital euro should the need arise, unquote. And that is Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank. So it'll happen eventually. It'll be so much better for the unbanked too. I think you know something like 20% of Americans don't even participate in the banking system. And that's because you know they're not worth it to the big banks. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, you know, they don't really want you unless you have cash in your account. Otherwise, you just cost them, right? And most people operating paycheck to paycheck, you know, they, they don't they don't benefit these banks very much. Yep. So, um, I got some tax news, some IRS news. This was interesting. Uh, it got a lot of views on the internet. It was an article about how the IRS has released final rules on business, meals, and entertainment. Appeared in the Journal of Accountancy, this news, also on Accounting Today. And my feed reader shows me if stuff is getting shared a lot over the internet. And so I clicked through this article because it was getting hundreds of shares. And then I read it. And all it is is saying that the proposed regulations issued in February 2020 for the new rules about meals and entertainment, right, from the Tax Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, have just been finalized. So they finalized those rules, which were apparently interim rules back in February. Now they're final rules. And nothing substantial change because nobody covered it. I guess they've done some clarification. And this is that whole separating out business meals versus entertainment and being reported separately. So entertainment is generally not deductible at all, but meals still are to some extent. Either it can be 100% or 50% deductible based on what is happening. Apparently, Donald Trump is not a fan of this. And if he stays president after the election wants to do something about it. At least there was that was in one of these articles that I read. It it reminded me though of something from a bookkeeping perspective that, you know, like a tip I want to offer to our listeners, which which always helped me was uh, if you're not doing this in all of your clients' accounts, uh, you can make your uh, tax preparer really happy or their tax preparer really happy if you segment your, your meals and entertainment and travel accounts by deductibility. For instance, recreational employee meals provided for the benefit employees like holiday parties are 100% deductible. So, you have a category for meals 100%. 
Meals provided to an employee at work, though, are only 50% deductible. So you want to have a category for meals 50%. And you know if you have a bookkeeper who may ha- not know exactly what falls into what, or maybe the client's doing their own bookkeeping, you could actually segment farther so that it's very clear, like, you know, here's meals provided at work versus, you know, holiday party, you know, or entertainment is separate and all that stuff. So anyway, just a tip, right? Do the 100%, 50%, 0% in your chart of accounts. And then, you know, you don't have to answer all those questions at the end of the year. That makes sense. Uh, and one more bit, the IRS has added a marijuana industry page to their website. This is new. I guess they've never had one before. So you can go check it out. It's got a listing of resources about income reporting, cash payment options, large cash amounts, estimated payments, what type of records that marijuana businesses need to keep. So although marijuana is still illegal federally, uh, the IRS, as we discussed many times, uh, you know, they... They, they they want everybody to pay their taxes, regardless of whether or not they are engaged in what is seen to be criminal activity. Now, are they going to um, make it easier for people to, because it's very hard to use uh, to pay your estimated taxes, because it's hard to do these things electronically because you have your cash, right? Yeah. So, are they making uh, new ways for people to make those deposits? IRS centers... Some have always accepted cash. So that's really, you know, your your option is to take a big, you know, pile of money into an IRS taxpayer assistance center. You can call 844-545-5640 to find a location near you so that you can take your dump truck full of cash and drop it off. I would love to hear if any of our listeners have had a client where they've had to take like large amounts of cash directly to the IRS. Oh, here's a funny story, David. I filed this under my Stranger Things category. It's October 4th as we record this. There's another tax deadline looming. It would be really unfortunate if all your phone lines got tied up because of some sort of mistake. And that is exactly what happened to Waters, Hardy & Co., a 10-person Dallas-based tax preparation and consulting firm. They had a bit of a nightmare snafu situation where apparently Apple Card you know that new credit card from Apple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transactions from AT&T were being mislabeled on the digital statements for Apple Card users so that people were seeing a charge that said Waters Hardy and Company CPA instead of their normal AT&T charge. And it was causing hundreds and hundreds of people last week to be calling from all over the United States into that small tax office asking, why are you charging my credit card? So they they finally restored it. This was reported by The Verge. And uh, there's a post uh, screenshot from Facebook from the company, from the firm saying, if you see a charge on your Apple credit card from Waters, Hardy and Company CPA, please know it was not us. And we did not receive the funds. Please check your AT&T account. As we were told by some, it was in fact their bill with our name listed as the merchant. This afternoon, we have received hundreds of calls from all over the United States regarding this matter, so much so we had to turn off our phones. We are working to get this resolved as soon as possible. Thank you. So, this is like a free commercial for them. I mean, they, they, this is the dream, right? A lot of these companies with bank feeds, like the division is like one day people will have their bank feeds and we'll stick ads right in their bank feeds. <laughs> these, these guys got to get a free ad in everybody's bank feed. That's true, actually. You know, if you think about it that way, that's great. It is an opportunity. <laughs> so many people know this company exists now. Oh, that's and great. And it's funny that, you know, it ties right into us because it's a, and we might have covered this story anyways, but the fact that it was a, an accounting firm, it's even better. Well, hey, speaking of marketing, here's a article I spotted on Accounting Day by Lee, Fre- Lee Fredrickson 
I wanted to call your attention to this article called COVID-19 has just turned your website into a rainmaker. And it's, it's, a, it's a list of things that you can do to improve your website now that you're not getting as many leads from face-to-face client and prospect interactions, and it's going digital. It's forced a lot of firms to make investments in their websites. And I love his point number one, showcase educational content. I mean, that is the number one way that you can get leads is to demonstrate your expertise, share your knowledge, create videos, create case studies, create a library of resources for potential clients, especially if you've got a specific industry that you serve. Give away your knowledge, at least give away a piece of it. People aren't going to want to do the work themselves. They're going to want to hire you to do it for them. And this builds trust. It's the first step is just spin up your website. <laughs> Have a website? I, I, I'm shocked. Like, obviously, you know, I'm coming across lots of accountants. You see their email addresses. You see their domain. And then I go to go to their site. So they, so they, so they own their domain, right? Yeah. They're using it for their email. But then I go to type their domain into a web browser and it just dies. It doesn't work. There's nothing. Yeah. And, and, there's a lot of accounts and bookkeepers out there. Hopefully, none of our listeners, like shame on you, if you're paying money for your amazing domain name, have a website. And this list kind of highlights that challenge, I think, because it starts out really strong, like assuming that you have a website, have educational content, highlight premium content to generate leads, such as a ebook that people download. They give you know you give get their email address in exchange for an ebook. But then as you scroll down the list and you go like to three, four, or five. A lot of them are just basic things like make your website mobile. I mean, a lot of firm websites, you open it on your phone and it doesn't work. You can't read anything. So, that, right, that's the next step. If you, if you have a website, we'll first build a website, then make it mobile friendly. Going down the list, optimize your site for search engine indexing so that you're actually findable on Google. Number five, create clear calls to action actually have buttons that tell people what you want them to do, like contact me. Don't just leave it up to them. Make your site easy to navigate. I think my favorite example of this on accounting from websites is, uh, especially you go to the big ones, you click on the menu and the menu takes over the entire page of the website. (laughs) Yeah. Or you can't figure out what services they offer. Like that's the problem I have right now is I'm trying to figure out, you know, do they just do personal taxes? Do do they do small business accounting? And it's very, very hard to tell. It's usually almost better to go from Google and type in the firm name and then type the word like QuickBooks. And if it, right. if it comes up as a hit, okay, they have small business clients. <laughs> so uh, that's a good list of things to check out. Go to the show notes for that list of things that you should check on your website. So during this pandemic, you and I have really said that like, you know, hey, accountants are kind of the unsung heroes here. Like we, we've been hammering that since April. Yeah, yeah. Right? And there's finally some data coming out to support this. So this is a survey. Zero did a survey in the UK. This article is in techradar.com. They talked to small business owners and did a survey, and about half think their accountant played a vital part in their survival during the pandemic. That's awesome. Um, What about the other half? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that it was worse, right? Uh, 63% said that their accountant has delivered undisrupted service, which is really good, right, for accountants and bookkeepers. The fact that you're you're underwater from the amount of work you have, and and your clients are, they feel like they're still getting great service from you. I feel like you could look at it both ways. Like a 60%, you know, in my, when I was growing up would not have been a passing grade, but uh, we'll keep, keep going. Yeah. So the only question I thought that was strange is um, nearly half, 48% of those questions, those questions said that cloud technology has been a huge help in allowing them to work remotely in tandem with their accountant. How many was that? Only 48%. Yeah. Well, because we know that most firms are not taking advantage of, you know, 
cloud tech. I mean, if you don't have a website, how can you have a client portal, right? <laughs> like, yeah, or, or, or collaborate through cloud accounting back and forth. Yeah, right. So, or maybe small businesses, like a lot, of, a lot of firms are doing outsourced work, mm-hmm. right? And so they might not even know a question like this comes up, like, I don't know what cloud technology is. Like, I'm just working with my accountant remotely and things are working. So, right. so and then what's the last other one? Um, they said that 45% their financial advisor is more important now than ever before. And 38% claim that they now enjoy a closer relationship with their accountant than they did pre-COVID. Well, that's good. So it sounds like a good chunk of the accounting profession really stood up and helped their clients. And then another chunk just kind of like failed. <laughs> it's very divided there. Well, I mean, you like can't. Half I mean, to third. 38% saying they have a closer relationship is pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, I'd be surprised if if you're really serving your clients and you didn't have a closer relationship after everything that just went down, you failed. So you're saying that number probably should be way higher. It should, it should be like, like 70 or 80%. You should be claiming they have a closer yeah. relationship. Interesting. Because the reason you don't have a close relationship is because you didn't do anything for them. And we know there's a ton of accountants who just completely pass the buck on PPP. Now, this is from the UK, right? Obviously, but they have their own programs. And it's probably a similar situation where you know, here in the US, there were firms that jumped on it that helped their clients get PPP and EIDL loans and help them deal with cash flow and, and manage all this stuff. And there's firms that were just like, nope, we just do taxes. Sorry, go find somebody else. And guess which firms are going to grow after this is all over? Well, this is part of Scale Factor's problem, right? Is Scale Factor didn't adjust their offering for PPP. If they tried, it was way too late by the time they did that. They couldn't react appropriately for their clients. That's right. So I've got a little bit of follow-up uh, on some news that we had discussed that I want to hit on real quick before we go. Some PPP follow-up? Yeah, some PPP follow-up. So there was an article in the New York Times, and the headline is, Despite billions in fees, banks predict meager profits on PPP loans. And as soon as I, th- I saw that headline, I knew exactly what was going to happen. It's the big banks already warning us that even though they took in $13 billion in fees on PPP loans, they're saying that uh, their costs were so high that their profit from the program will be near zero. That's what Chase is saying. Well, they need a bailout. They need a bailout. Bank of America uh, is saying that they don't expect much profit, if any. Now, I wonder, how is that possible? Because analysts believe that the median fee paid to banks was around 3% of the loan volume by the government, because it could range anywhere from 1% to 5%. So that means that JP Morgan, the largest lender, would have collected $881 million, and Bank of America would have collected $767 million. Now, they haven't told us just how much of this incentive fee they have received, but that's what we're guessing. So, do you think really that in the months that the PPP loan was active, they really spent that much money on you know, delivering on the PPP loan? I mean, you, there's well, only so much overtime. they got their you own can... loans, right, to pay their employees during that time, so... And of course, you know, the accountants got none of this, right? They Banks, by and large, refused to pay us the um, agency. And that's fee. been officially ruled on, right? I think you t- we t- might have covered that two weeks ago or so by the courts. They've officially, like that. that's a done case now, I think, if I remember correctly. I don't, rec- I don't recall. I, I basically had like written that off. I feel like, I feel like there's been a ruling already. Like it was like, give it up, the banks won. So here's why I'm calling BS on all this. Because at the same time, you have the big banks saying that they didn't make any money on this. You've got smaller lenders that are bragging about how well they did because they stepped up for their clients and they made a ton of money. 
So Zions is one of the rare banks that is actually breaking down its lending in detail. They said that they anticipate fees of $210 million to $220 million on its $7 billion of loans. And that money will be, quote, a nice cushion for us, unquote, amid a decline in lending because of the pandemic. And that's from Scott J. McLean, the bank's president. So how is it that small banks, which arguably should have had a higher cost structure, are making a nice tidy profit, but the big banks are saying, oh yeah, you know, there won't be any profit from this. And I think it's just going to be, you know, Hollywood accounting kind of situation, right? Creatively. It's very easy to take costs at a big bank and allocate them to a program and then make it look like it didn't make any money, right? That's probably what they're going to do. They're going to say like, oh yeah, every loan officer's salary was, uh, you know, attributable to PPP for this period, something like that. Yeah. And they're, they're going to cry to get some bailout and I, I can say yeah, this, this is, is what the game they play, right? So speaking of Hollywood accounting, like you just said, <laughs> <laughs> so this ties in with some PPP fraud. So uh, do you watch the Game of Thrones? Did you ever get into that? I did. Yeah, I was very disappointed by the end of that. Okay, so I, I never watched it at all. So thank goodness that somebody at the Department of Justice did because a North Carolina man was charged for reportedly trying to steal $6 million in PPP loans, creating companies with the names from the Game of Thrones. So he created companies called White Walker, Khaleesi, Khaleesi. the Night's Watch. (laughs) So he created all these companies. So he submitted 14 PPP loan applications and he actually got two of them approved for 1.7 million. And then the government came in and seized everything and shut it all down. But I mean, he created falsified tax filings, fake documents, fake loan applications, fake employees. Uh, And I don't understand, like, why do these why there was that other guy who was at Microsoft that created a bunch of fake companies too, right? Yeah. This Microsoft engineer. Like, why create so many? Like, wouldn't you like just do one quietly, get a check for five hundred thousand, just go away? Well, this is classic. This is how most frauds end up getting exposed, is because people get greedy. Yeah. So I just thought that was a you know we keep seeing the nice thing is I feel like the frauds are getting caught with the PPP loans, which is more indication that probably we're all going to get rubber stamped because that the frauds are just naturally bubbling up. Yeah. Right? Well, but, but it's the big ones, right? Like I feel like the small frauds are just never going to get caught. And there's probably a lot of that. But what are you going to do? The resources aren't there to chase that. All right. We got a listener voicemail from the week prior that we didn't get to. So I want to make sure we do that. Before and we, we have one, one review as well. A all right. Review. So let's read that review. Then we'll go to the voicemail. So this is from Buria Pool. Great podcast, super informative and engaging. Definitely not your average dull accounting podcast, smiley face. Well, thank you, Buria. We really appreciate that you think it's informative, engaging, and that we're not dull. I never make that promise to my friends and family when I tell them about the podcast. I say, you you take it upon yourself if you download this show. Fair warning. There's no risk involved here. It's, it's, It's friendly. And let's Take a listen to the voicemail we got. And how did, how, how did we get a voicemail? You have to dial a number. Yeah, you have to dial a number. Yes. What is that number? 202-695-1040. Now, I should change our greeting to warn people about this. You only have three minutes, so try to keep it short. And this message in particular got cut off a little bit, so we're not going to hear the full thing. But yeah, I, I think there's enough here to provide some interesting discussion taking us out. This one's really for you, David. Hello, Blake and David. My name is Chris. I'm calling from New Jersey, and I wanted to just uh, kind of fill you in on just a couple things that I kind of came across uh, via your podcast, of which I definitely have become a fan of over the last few months on account of the uh, pandemic. 
Uh, I wanted to briefly touch upon something you guys covered a couple weeks ago regarding browsers and, you know, how how you, how you guys were considering, you know, maybe looking into one that's more independent-minded. Uh, I'm going to recommend to you guys the Brave browser. Uh, it's become one of my favorites because it doesn't have built-in ad and tracker blocking. Uh, you can even install Chrome extensions on there, and you can even use what are called, uh, I believe, Brave Rewards, which basically allow you to see private privacy-centric ads, which give you, I believe, what are called bats, and you can use those bats to distribute to content creators if you like. I think it's a great browser. It's, it's completely Chromium-based, and you can even use Chrome extensions on it. I highly recommend it. It's, as far as I know, it's, it's one of the best browsers around. I, I've heard of Chromium. I've yet to try it. Um, I'm dead deeply in the Firefox ecosystem, right? I use Firefox for my um, password management as well. So it's, 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 it's hard to jump off. So I'm taking a look at this right now. So the, the browser that Chris recommended is called Brave, B-R-A-V-E. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's called Brave. Sorry about yeah. that. I missed well, it's it. a Chromium-based browser. So it uses the same open source technology that Chrome is built on. So I don't know if people realize this, but there's Chrome, which is the Google product, and there's Chromium, which is the open source base, like the platform or the code, right? That that So anyone can create a browser on Chromium, which is great because then you have cross-compatibility. If it works on Chrome, it'll work on a Chromium browser. And so you can go to brave.com and you can download this, and it claims to be three times faster than Chrome that it stops online surveillance and it loads content faster, uses 35% less battery. That's really neat. So thank you, Chris, for that recommendation. I am on Chrome for everything, so I'm going to download this and I'm going to check it out and see if it is, in fact, faster. Anything else before we go, David? Uh, that's it. I, no more articles for me. All right. So, David, if people want to get in touch with you online and continue the conversation beyond the podcast, where is best for them to do that? Uh, Twitter. I'm at David Leary, and I'm also on LinkedIn, at David Leary. But on LinkedIn, please put a message. Do you love the podcast or something so I know you're not a bot? Same for me. Contact me on LinkedIn or on Twitter, at Blake T. Oliver. And like David said, if you want to leave us a voicemail with a tip, commentary, or anything at all, you can call 202-695-1040. Leave a message. Please keep it to around a minute. That helps us move things along. And we'll take a listen to it and we'll likely even play it on the air. And David, we've got one event that we are going to, a digital event. Yeah, on October 20th, we're going to be at the Accounting and Finance Show. It's going to be an online event. We're doing a keynote and uh, hopefully we'll be doing a survey and getting that out the door here soon. And it'll be an interactive type event. And we hope everybody joins us for a live recording of the podcast. And you can check out the registration page at cloudaccount.com pod.link slash accounting show USA. Probably easiest if you just find that in the show notes or just search accounting and finance show and you will you'll be able to register and join us live. Until next time, have a great week, David. Bye, Bruce. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? With ClientHub, automate this process and get client answers instantly. ClientHub is a client communication platform that helps you consolidate client communication, securely share files, and instantly get answers and much, much more. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, frictionless client communication. 
Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.